It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Here we are again, Real Talk, Real Issues. Let's keep it real. Welcome to the It's Real Radio broadcast. I'm excited to be with you again on today. Last week, I hope you guys tuned in. We had an incredible treat. We were able to broadcast live from Las Vegas, Nevada at the And When You Pray Prayer Conference. And we had an incredible time with Pastor Seneca Atkinson delivering a powerful word from God about rising early in the morning, that ties into keeping it real and understanding how we overcome the different issues that we face on a daily basis. So I hope you had opportunity to chime in and to listen in on that broadcast because it was phenomenal. And if you did not have opportunity to listen to it, I recommend wholeheartedly that you go back into the archives, pull it up, and take a listen because it will bless you. Well, we're kind of having a little technical difficulty this morning with my co-host there um, involved in other things this morning, and so it might be um, a little while later that they will chime into the office and if into the, I'm sorry, into the studio. But if not, we still have a phenomenal show for you today. As you know, we like to encourage our listeners to be the very, very best that they can be, and that's why we deal with issues, everyday issues that we encounter just in life, be it um, in our journey with the Lord or just in, in life in general, there are things that we go through and sometimes we don't know quite how to handle it. But today, our guest is going to share some monumental things that he has had to overcome to get to be the person that he is today. And this is really special to my heart because there's so many of you that's stuck in where you are. You're stuck in that victim mentality. You're stuck in you'll never be able to accomplish your dreams. You're stuck in places that you shouldn't be um, because God never meant for you to get anywhere and be stuck in it. Even in him, God is a progressive God. So in all that we 
we do, he is encouraging us on a daily basis to progress, to get beyond. There is a thing called the other side. You know, you always will hear people talking about they're going through. Okay, yes, we go through, but where are we going through to? The key is is to get through it and get to the other side of it. So I would love for you guys to help me to welcome to the show today our very, very special guest. His name is Anthony Choate. You'll hear me call him Tony. Um, but I just want him to share from his heart with you guys so that you can be encouraged to move past and through your victim status to get to that place of victory. Welcome to the show, Tony. Uh, good morning, good morning. From over here in Texas, uh, it's certainly a beautiful day over here, and it's much more beautiful to wake up this morning and knowing that uh, we're fighting the good fight. And uh, uh, I was thinking about this uh, segment today, and, of course, you know, the devil's fighting me in every step of the way, it seemed like from the time that I woke up this morning. So I knew something uh, something's going to really uh, come out of this in a really awesome way uh, for someone today. If it's just me, uh, but we serve a mighty and awesome, awesome God, and the strength and the power that we have with his spirit inside of us, huh, there's nothing that can stand before us. So truly it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of this show today. Awesome, awesome. Well, Tony, I want you to go back, all the way back. I want you to start from your childhood, okay? Um, You've shared some personal things with me um, that I believe will help other people. And we've done shows dealing with going through child abuse or molestation and different things like that. But one thing that you shared with me that really touched my heart was even though you went through that abuse, the fact that your abuser was somebody that you had to see on a weekly basis because they were in the church. I'd like for you to start back there and share your journey of overcoming um, what the enemy meant to destroy your life even as a child and how you've grown through it and passed it. Yes, ma'am. My, my, my. All right. Um, I'm the second youngest uh, out of eight boys, no girls in the family. Uh, I was born into a uh, an environment. My father was in the strip uh, club night business, nightclub business for about 28 years. Um, so, in the spiritual aspect uh, of that, the I'm sorry, there's a train going by where I'm at. Anyways, the spiritual aspect of that of the the uh, the opening of the spirits that camp comes from that lifestyle, uh, that world that my family was involved in was pretty mighty. And uh, so being second youngest of, uh, of eight boys, uh, and we were rough, you know, raised here in, in, in Texas, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we played hard, and uh, we, were just, we was just raised pretty hardcore, I guess you would say. But my father uh, was busted in, uh, when I was eight years old uh, for organized crime. And uh, so they sent him away for three years. And out of all the sons, um, I was, like, the closest to my father. Uh, on the weekends, uh, I, you know, when uh, you know, not when school wasn't in play, with the weekend or holiday, it's like my dad always took, uh, took me with him everywhere. And uh, so I had a really close relationship with my father. So at an eight-year-old mindset of my father being taken away from me, at uh, eight years old, it hurt, and it's still – the memory so today's it's a lasting memory. Um, so because of that, uh, I reached out. I 
grew attached to one of my older brothers. And, uh, I, I, you know, looking back, I realized I was trying to substitute the the love and the closeness and the just looking up to somebody uh, in my in my family, in my life, and, and my brother substituted for my father. So all the drama that came down because of my father's decisions of the lifestyle that he was in, uh, it just brought so much chaos to our family. And, uh, and then through it all, my brother... Uh, started sexually abusing me, and uh, then the the physical uh, abuse that came with that from the threats of not saying anything. Now, got to keep in mind, my mother, she's Cherokee Indian, and I don't know anybody stronger, uh, uh, a stronger woman than her. She's so awesome. In fact, if I can say this, in 2004, uh, she was attacked by a serial killer and down in Port Arthur, Texas. He's done murdered seven women. And every one of them, they would find them in a closet. Every single one of these women were in a closet with their chest caved in because he would just stomp, he stomped them to death. It just, evil had a hold of him. And uh, my mother was out in her yard taking care of some yard work. The guy was going by on a bicycle, of all things. And God checked her and let her know there's something about this man wasn't right. And so she went inside of her house to lock the doors, and she was going to go upstairs, look out the window, call the neighborhood. They'd have the neighborhood watch still going on. Anyway, so when she went in to get on the phone to alert her neighbors, the guy done broke in the house and was waiting on her. And so he ran at her, and she had a presence of mind to run out the back of the house, but she had locked the gates behind her as she was coming into the house. So she was essentially locked in, uh, even though she was outside of her house, and, and that's where he got her. And through it all, that's where he tried to kill her. And her testimony is that after three times, she fought her way back up, and then he beat her back down. She fought her way back up, and he beat her back down. The third time that she got knocked down, she's 62 years old at the time, she had no strength left. And she said that she prayed out to God. She's like, this is it. I I don't have anything else, God. And it's like he checked her and said, I have this. And when the man went to hit her one more time, and by this time he had broken her jaw, he had uh, uh, ripped up her left breast uh, from the impacts, and something spooked him, and which we know was the angel of God, and he looked over to the fence, he stood on his tippy toes, looked over to the fence, and he took off running and went over to the back side of the fence, and he was gone. So my mom was able to give us uh, a police sketch artist drawing of him, and they had him caught the same day. And uh, he's now serving life in prison. So... That being said, my mother, a very strong woman, and God's had his hand on my mother throughout her whole life. She has a testimony. But so as an 8-year-old child, 8, 9, and 10 is when this abuse went on in my life, um, why did I not reach out to her? If anybody in the world, that is one lady I could definitely go to. But as a child, it's like we blame ourselves. I blame myself somehow or some way. I just, I, and I, I, I shut down. And I was in third grade. And I remember I shut down so bad that I couldn't even talk anymore. It's like the, if the teacher called on me, I would stumble on my words. And, then, of course, the other kids, you know, if it's kids or kids, they would laugh or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it made me mm-hmm. withdraw even that much more in. And uh, uh, I had to go to counseling, you know, and my mother didn't understand what was going on. She thought it was father was in prison. And I, that, that was just my way of dealing with it. And all I had to do was just cry out to her, and but I didn't do it. And... So at the same time, now, I, I, okay, I'm, let me back up a little bit. I'm sorry. My, when my father went to prison, 
my mother gave her life to God, and she uh, uh, we, we started going to this apostolic, old-school apostolic Pentecostal church. And, man, the Holy Ghost falls. People run the aisles. They're shouting. I mean, you can feel the spirit of some of those services, you know. And I wanted to, looking back, I realized that I wanted to trust God, but I couldn't understand how that I'm in a, such a powerful church and the very same person that's running these aisles and he's waving his hands and praising the Lord and hallelujah was my own brother. And yet when we go home, mm. I would go through what I go through. So I realized later on in life that I just had this big mistrust of God. It's like, okay, I know you're powerful, but why have you not intervened, intervened on my life? So I, uh, so of course when my father came home, the abuse stopped, and I was, I was probably about 11 years old. Well, then I remember at 12 years old, I smoked my first marijuana joint. Hey, there it went. I, it made me feel good, and I, uh, I, I just got into some really bad choices in life. Uh, because I wasn't well enough and I wasn't strong enough and I didn't trust God enough to allow him to come into my life and help me heal and let me get over that mountain that just seemed like Mount Everest in my life. So I just withdrew, and I was I was that quiet kid. And uh, uh, and then I learned to channel it like in, in, in my early relationships where I didn't care because I didn't trust anybody. How could I trust anybody? So it, at, at that time, how could I trust anybody with my mindset? So even in the relationships, I'd act like I didn't really care. And then back in those days, well, and, I, uh, and when you're in the relationships and, uh, and, and the guy and the, and the girl and when you when the guy kind of seemingly plays that, you know, hard to get or it doesn't really care, it seemed like, you know, it, 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 I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the people or the girls coming after me and trying to make me a part of their life. And I, I wanted to, but I just, I, because of, the uh what I had went through, I just couldn't trust anybody. So uh uh give me one second. So anyhow, so uh uh but when my father got out, it took him one year of uh going to the altar and he would pray and it's like week after week until he felt like he received God in his heart. My dad's left that business behind, uh never went back well, he left the business behind uh, got into the tire business and uh, made it very much success, and we worked side by side, and uh, and I'm still very close to my dad. So anyway, so part of my uh, my struggles is that in my teenage years is that when I would hear, hear in the news, reading the newspaper, what have you, of people uh, that caught this guy for sexually abusing or raping uh, a child or what have you, oh, the anger, the, 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 the rage that would go through me. Like, man, it's like, man, if I would get a hold of him, I would hurt this person really bad. But yet, I didn't have that rage and that hurt, I mean, that rage or that anger towards my own brother. And so I, I couldn't understand why I did not feel like that. I wanted to be mad, and I wanted to be so angry at him, but I can never find myself getting to that point. And so then it, the devil messed with my mind, and I turn around, and I just really internalize like it's all on me, like something is wrong with me. And I lived with that shame until I think I was around 29 years old. And uh, I was wow. talking to a counselor. Yes, ma'am. And I was talking to a counselor, and she was talking, and she said, man, you're such a good guy. And she was telling me all these positive things about myself and and she was like, but why are you going down this one path that you're on? And uh, and I remember when I finally spoke about it, I cried for 45 minutes. I, mean, I don't know why it stuck in my mind. 45 minutes, I just could not stop crying. 
and I mean, I'm talking about hardcore cries, and I mm-hmm. and, and I realized that it seemed like I didn't even really uh, think about my brother, what I went through as a child. It's like I, I locked it away in the back of my mind, and I was just going through my life up until the age of 29. Just whatever decision I made, I just went with it. It seemed like I was fearless, like I wasn't scared of anything. So whatever situation I was in, after it was over with, my so-called friends at that time were like, man, dude, you're crazy. You know, it's like, you know, you still care. And I'm like, man, dude, you know, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, looking back, I realized because I didn't care about myself. You know, I, I didn't care what happened to me. It's almost like I was, it's like I was wanting to die. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Yeah, self, but even self-destruct. Yeah, oh, yes, oh, so much so, you know, but I remember a, a, a message that our old pastor taught us. And it stuck with me, and I share this with the groups that I talk to today and other people that I talk to. Uh, I, I speak at Men's Survivors of Sexual Abuse. Uh, there's an AXE program that we're, I'm a part of here in, uh, in Austin. Uh, in fact, it's next Saturday I get my certification for parenting and anger management. So we work with CPS and people getting out of prison on parole. Uh, and one of the re- and I'm not tooting my own horn, one of the reasons I'm saying this is anybody that's listening that starts that journey of healing and to get over the mountain and get onto the other side, it's such a blessing when you're able to share your testimony. It's like that saying, you got to give it away to keep it. And just like right now, it's like I just want to bawl and cry, but it's like I'm learning to let it go. I'm still healing. This is a journey, you know, but it's an awesome journey because God Almighty, he allows the ones that can make it go through it and the testimony that we are able to share because of our trials and tribulations, and the and when you see the effect that it has on other people, oh, it's such a blessing. I remember the the first time I spoke to a group, it was two hundred and twenty five, two two hundred twenty three guys, and it was all men. And when I spoke a little bit about, well, actually a lot about my testimony, I was so nervous and I felt like I was going to throw up. And when it got, when I was done. I was seeking <laughs> some hand class or people like I was I I'd stand up and start shouting kinda of like at a football game. But everybody was just looking at me and I was like, Oh my goodness, what did I do? And then I remember when I walked away, the one guy that came up to me and told me he appreciated it, when he gave me a hug, the his lifestyle that he was in at that time totally went against what I wanted him to come and give me a hug. And it's just like, oh, man, and I just felt so dirty and I felt so bad. But the very next day, the biggest man that was in that group, he's like six foot four, six foot five, and he was he's the man to be feared. He came up and he bear-hugged me with tears in his eyes and told me a little bit about his story, and he said it was the first time he's ever spoke about it. And because of what I said, it gave him an encouragement. And we, we thank God, you know, and we were praying and just crying in the Lord. So from that point to move forward the rest of my life, that's why I have no problem speaking about my testimony because I know even it might only just every time I speak it helps me because I know it gives God glory and mm-hmm. it's about Him. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so it's, it's just what, such a what blessing. Is, what is your relationship with your brother at this point? Uh, the fact of the matter is, he just called me probably about thirty minutes ago. Uh, we, I, believe it or not, we have a, a good relationship. And I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, why have I not ever reached out and discussed it with him or talked to him about it? 
Uh, I, part of my resentment as a teenager, because he's older than me, uh, I think he's like five years, six years older than me, uh, you know, I've watched him go on, and, and he never really got into drugs. He never made really bad decisions in life. He's successful in business, what have you, married and uh, three kids. And uh, and I would watch him. I'm like, man, how can he make it so good? And yet I'm like, I'm like in this pit. It's like I have resentment a little bit. Well, I had a lot of resentment against him. But when God filled me with the Holy Ghost three, going on four years ago, when God filled me with the Holy Ghost, I've learned just to let that go and leave it in God's hands. And then one of the reasons, I know, like I was saying about it this morning, I haven't discussed it with him because my family, the, my brothers, the I, I believe that right now, and maybe, maybe I'm just scared to see what would happen. But I believe right now, because he's not in the, he's not walking with God like he should. And I think it would just mm-hmm. create so much stuff in my family. And my father, mm-hmm. uh, he is very old school and. I had discussed this with my mother some years ago. I opened up to her, and she said she had a feeling. And she said, and when my dad got home from prison, she discussed it with him, and he told her she's never to discuss it, to keep her mouth closed. And, and like he laid down the law, we're not to talk about it. So uh, uh, because of all those things, that's why I've never discussed it with my brother. Uh, but going back to your, your question, uh, uh we have a we have a good relationship. Uh, you know, when we're down back home, uh, we go to his house and we eat and uh, uh, and we conversate and um, it seems to me like uh, everything's fine. So uh, your your journey to forgiveness that had to be a, an incredible thing. Being that you know, not only is it someone that you see um, supposedly praising God, but also somebody you know that is. I mean, he's your brother. I mean, he's he's a close yes, family member. How did you journey to forgiveness, even in the midst of all of that? I mean, because like you said, you just talked to him. So for you to be able to sit down and have dinner with and what have you, um, I understand the the place of you know um, you suppressed, I guess, the anger toward them. But how did you get to the place of forgiveness of the situation? Well. One of the the first books that I read um, was called Healing the Wounded Heart. And once I was able to realize that, and it kind of goes back to what I was speaking about earlier with the the, the club, the the business that my father was in, in the shirt clubs, with all the sex, that's what it is there for. Uh, The spirits that were attached to that, uh, and just living in the sin stricken world, I realized that my brother was not well, and discussing it with my mother, she believes that, like I said, there's eight of us, she believes that one of our oldest brothers also abused him. And so reading The Wounded Heart and starting my journey of the healing, and then I realized that there's probably a good chance that he went through what I went through. He wasn't well. He didn't know how to trust God. Uh, and so he turned around and put that on me, and he did the same thing that was hidden that that he went through. So I, it seemed like it was easy. <laughs> it seems like it was easy for me to forgive him. You know, I, you know, the, the story in Psalms. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in Second Samuel. You know, in King David's son, and when the one was lusting after his sister, and when you read that whole mm-hmm. story, oh my goodness gracious, the the devastation, the 
the, mm-hmm. the whole deal behind that. And it seemed like that God gave me the strength because I could have handled this in so many different ways. But God gave me the strength not to allow devastation to come behind this. You know, uh, I know I made a lot of wrong decisions in life uh, because I wasn't well enough to, 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 to forgive him at the time. But where mm-hmm. I am at today, through God's mercy and grace, oh, man, it just – so it seemed like for me it was easy to forgive him, but what was the hard part was forgiving myself. That was wow. that was the hard part. You know, I, and uh, and let me share this, if you don't mind. I One of the greatest messages that I just ever stuck with in my life is the title of it. It's called The Lifelong Consequences of One Single Decision. And the pastor, as he was – preaching he had a he had a pillow a feather pillow and he had ripped it open and as he's preaching and he's preaching out the uh, uh scriptures and he's tying everything to his message his message he was dumping out this pillow and you know us in the congregation were just watching these little feathers fly around or what have you and then towards the end of his message he said you can take five people and y'all can gather up all the feathers that you could possibly can and put them back in the pillow he said, but if they had put 1,000 feathers in that pillow, when they made that pillow at the factory, he said, you do a count, you will never, ever get 1,000 back in. At least one, quite a bit more, more than likely, is forever going to be gone because you can't find it. It's gone somewhere. So he's saying that one decision that we make in life, it seems like we will spend the rest of our life trying to put together that pillow. And I thought, man, how true that is. That stuck with me in my older years. I'm 42. But it, 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 it stuck with me, and then I share that to be careful with the things that not only did we say, but much less our actions, because the, devasta- the, the, the devastation that we can cause someone else, the hurt and pain, it could be like I'm, I'm 42 years old. I literally I pulled over on the side of the highway. Now, I, like I said, this is a blessing to do this. But right now on this Saturday, I'm on the side of the road, stopped. I stopped everything to call in to be a part of the show, and it's a blessing. But it, it's part of what I went through. It's got me to this point today. So, and what else would I be doing right now, you know? And not to say that mm-hmm. this is a, a burden. This, I, I love what I do. I love where God has me at. But it's just like what I'm saying is tying that message, the lifelong consequences of one single decision. And uh, uh, But anyway, so the greatest thing, Mrs. Corlett, uh is for me when I share with others is forgiving yourself because for some reason we blame ourselves as children, and it is not easy at all for a man to open up and to even speak mm-hmm. about being sexually abused, raped, or what have you, because so, for, mm-hmm. for some reason, society, the devil, has put that stigma, you know, that men don't discuss that, We and we just internalize right. it, and, yeah, and we just try to bury it down. Yes, ma'am. You know what, and, and you're, you're so right, because as soon as you share a testimony like that, the first thing for a man is people start looking at you crazy and think, oh, well, you must be gay because you were abused as a child. Because um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of men go in that direction. They, they don't understand their sexuality because of the abuse. But um, it, it's amazing to me that you and so many others – go through life with that thought, it was my fault. So like you just said, it was easier to forgive your brother than it was to forgive yourself. And I think that's what causes so many people to stay stuck in that victim place. 
you know, um, and never reaching the place of victory. See, I admire you because you have gotten to that place of victory. You know, is your life perfect? Probably not. Nobody's is. But, you know, you're at a place in God where, first of all, you're not angry and blaming the Lord because he allowed this to happen as most people do. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying God allowed this to happen. I'm saying that most people have that mentality that, you know, they – well, basically kind of how you started off that, you know, how do I trust a God, you know, when I'm seeing this individual that's doing these things to me, running up and down the aisle, shouting like, you know, <laughs> he had a relationship, you know, and but yet he's threatening you when you go home. So a lot yes, of people ma'am. get stuck. There's two places they get stuck. They get stuck in hating God because if if God was real, if he really existed, how could he have allowed this to happen in my life? And then the other one is the, the, the other places where you were at where, you know, well, it must have been something I did. It's my fault. So I'm carrying the guilt and the shame of it. And this is why I really, really wanted to have you on and to share your testimony because you have been able to release all of those factors, those two factors that keep people in bondage, because that's what it is. It keeps them in bondage. To get to that place of release, there is liberty in the spirit of God. The word of God says so. And those of us that have had to walk out situations in our lives have learned that. But so many haven't. So that's why I wanted you to encourage people, you know, with your testimony that there is another side to that victim, you know, because you were victimized over and over again until we allow ourselves that release to, one, forgive ourselves, Two, not to hold it against God. Now, what you just said, you're on the side of the road giving your testimony to encourage somebody else. I do not believe that God causes things to happen bad to us. I don't believe because, you know, people will say, well, you know, yeah, God did this so that I could. No, that's not the God we love. God is a loving and a caring God, okay? However, because he gave his creation the freedom of choice at creation, we have the ability to stray outside of his will. And when we do that, there are consequences and repercussions to that. So the consequence for you was that your brother did something he shouldn't have. However, as you just said, and when you, it's so funny that you said what you did, because as you were telling your story in my spirit, I heard somebody did it to him first. Amen. Yes, so ma'am. somebody did it to him, and he acted out what was done to him to you. That's how we learn as children. We reenact what is done or what we see. You know, it's sad, it's unfortunate, but it is truth, okay? But you have, you, your testimony is so encouraging, and I was saying all of this to say that I really want people to understand that because something bad happened to you, first and foremost, not to say, oh, well, God had a plan, so he let this happen so that I could tell my testimony or help somebody else. No, 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 no. God's plan was that it would never have happened to you. God's plan yes, was that, you know, Amen. that you would have not had to suffer under those conditions. Unfortunately, in God's plan, he gave us all the freedom of choice. And because right. we make bad choices, 
because we make bad choices, then there are the repercussions and the consequences to those choices. So um, I just wanted to clarify that because, you know, we get so twisted, Tony. We really, really do um, in our mindset, and we allow the enemy to come and put these crazy notions and thoughts in our mind, <laughs> and, you know, and tell us that, oh, well, God made you sick so you could get some rest. What? <laughs> okay. Well, God has to make you sick so you can get some rest. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God will tell yes. you and drop it in your spirit. You need to rest before you get sick. Okay. That's right. <laughs> he didn't make you sick so you could get rest. So I just want you know what I'm saying. I just want people to yes. understand that you know this is not God's plan for your life for these bad things to happen. Could He step in and stop it? No, because he's given that liberty unto us. There are things that he does stop that the enemy plans for our lives. There's a whole lot that we don't go through that the enemy has set us up to go through. But there's certain things that happen that it's not God's fault. You you know what I'm saying? And it's not our fault. It is not our fault. You told me another story. And you didn't – go ahead. You know, there's – there's not just about every single character that's in the Bible. It it talks about their struggles. So just because mm-hmm. that we're walking with God does not mean that it's going to go smooth, even when you're walking Absolutely. with Him, much less when you're away from God. So you know, and uh, I've got uh, one of the guys that works for us. Uh, uh, I was sharing with him uh, because he's going through some, you know some difficulties right now, and I'm like, man, how can we sit and complain if you read the story of Job? He said he hmm. was a righteous man. Now, I don't Hello. think there's another person in the Bible that, that God said he's a righteous man. So to me, that, man, that means that man lived without sin. And he had mm-hmm. all everything with all his children and all his success mm-hmm. going on. And then here comes mm-hmm. old Satan, you know. And mm-hmm. But he stuck it out. And you look at the end to say there's a, there's a message right there. Read the mm-hmm. end of the book. Okay, so what mm-hmm. you're going through right now, what we're going through, there is that other side, as you were speaking at the beginning of the show. Read the end of the story. Look at the end of the story. Oh, man, yeah. we're we're mighty in God's eyes. Oh, yes, thank you, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. You told me a story that you almost lost your life at the hands of some other individuals. Share that. Oh, my. All right, so part of my choices in life, uh, I uh, – uh, Got into the lifestyle. Uh, actually, I got in a relationship with a stripper out of Houston, um, and opened my, opened myself up to uh, a life of uh, selling drugs and being a part of that lifestyle. Uh, so, I ended up being uh, at a chop shop in Houston, right there, uh, Port of Houston. Uh, at a chop shop to do the deal, and I was told uh, to be. Uh, not to go by myself, but I always packed. I always carried a gun everywhere I went. Uh, I thought that what I had and my experiences in this lifestyle that I was in, uh, that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be good to go. And that fact is, I thought this one guy that's going to be there that I've dealt with in the past many times, you know, nothing was going to uh, go sideways. Anyway, so make a long story short, when I got there to the shop, uh, he had two of his homeboys with him that I'd never seen before. And before I could even react, I got shot with a stun gun. And uh, and I, it took me down. So while they had me on the ground, uh, I was stripped away of uh, my gun that I had. And uh, they started beating me and uh, started kicking me. And 
they one guy had kicked me so many times that my my left lung had collapsed, and that's some impact, Mrs. Cole. That when you're getting kicked and you're taking such a a, a blow that you, literally air is deflated out of one of your lungs. So I'm breathing on one lung, and then one of them shot me in my eye with like straight in my eyeball with mace. Uh, and when he did, of course, I yelled out, and then he shot me in my throat, and I I couldn't breathe. I mean, I just, I could feel it right. I just, I couldn't breathe. I, you know, I didn't realize I was only breathing on one lung to begin with. So I had all this blood uh, from the, the, uh, the, the wounds on my head. And then I got the stuff sprayed in my mouth and back in my throat. And I just, and I passed out. And I remember when I came to, I was like, my head was like, like stuck to the cement floor. And I'm like, and I remember when I pulled it up, I realized drying, I guess you would say, and and I hear this noise, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I, I kept hearing this noise, and it sounded like a ball. And I realized these guys were outside, and they were shooting hoops, playing basketball. You know, while I'm lay, basically laying on the floor dying, you know. And um, so then they ended up coming uh-huh. back in, and they beat on they beat on me again. And, and then I, I went back out, and when I woke up. I was, of course, I was scared because I knew that their whole intention was to kill me. And so when right. I woke up, I I didn't move. I didn't move at all because I was I was I didn't even know they were behind me somewhere. So anyhow, so finally uh, I moved around a little bit, and the garage doors were locked. The door going to this office, so I could even get outside, was locked. So essentially, I was locked in. And I remember I crawled up on a couple of these tables because there's these little windows way at the top of the garage, and I don't know how I had the strength. It's just God that gave me the strength to get up there, break the window, come out. And when I went over the fence, and it was a barbed wire fence, when I went over the fence across the street was a concrete place, uh, a big, huge concrete place, and they had an all-night security guard. And I walked up to the booth. This guy was looking at me, and literally I was holding the skin of my head, like, together because it was flapped open. And, and I had and my, my shirt was gone, and I had, like, this blood all down my arms and my chest. And I know this poor guy was looking at me walking up like something out of a horror movie. And I had did not realize that they had tied my hands behind my back. And I only know how that, and, but I, and I was out. So I, I, either God broke the ropes or they had cut it loose for some reason. But there was still a piece of rope around my wrist. So when he called the police, I went one. And when they came out, when they seen that rope, it's like it started. It, it brought in a whole task force, helicopters, and everything. They hit that place. Of course, the guys wasn't there. But uh, so they brought me to the hospital. I was so I lost so much blood. I was dehydrated, and that's a lot of blood wow. loss, man. When you're dehydrated, but uh, yeah. uh, so what their plans was to go ahead and kill me, and you know, I, and I'm not, I don't know, put me in a car or whatever they were going to do. But I was not to walk out of that place alive. But God had other plans, and so on this beautiful Saturday. I'm here speaking to you and the rest of the audience. Uh, what a mighty God. Amazing. Oh, man. See, that, yes, ma'am. That's, that's a story of victory even in the midst of the situation. And that's that was my purpose for wanting you to share that because your life at that point in time still was not on the up and up with God, yet and still he spared your life. You hey, know, well, let me, let, let, me, let, let me encourage the mothers and, and fathers, too, out there. Uh, my mother's prayers, I like to say, when uh, when my father got busted uh, for organized crime and my mom got in church, and she's been in church ever since, uh, she is a prayer warrior. And this woman, she prays for hours at a time, at nighttime. Uh, and uh, there were times, like this, the, the testament I just shared with you, there's like three other ones that I could even share 
that I should not have walked away from the situation I was in, but God allowed me to to get through it. And then she would call me, or I would find out later through conversation. You know, and on this particular story I just shared, uh, she had talked to me at the hospital, and she goes, you know, she goes, God woke me up. I was literally crying out your name, Jesus, in your name, save my son. She said, I woke up out of a dead sleep. She said she was crying, tears coming out of her eyes, straight out of a dead sleep. She said she knew that I was going through something, and she ran downstairs, and she said she wrestled with God in prayer, and she did not let go until she felt a calm and a peace come over, and she knew everything was going to be all right. So my mama's prayers has kept me when, like you were just saying, I was not walking with God, but my mama's prayers kept me many times. So, uh, you know, if somebody could look at my life at the time and the things I was involved in, and probably would have just gave up on me, like there ain't no hope for him or what have you. But do not ever give up. Do not ever give up. And those prayers, oh, they do not go on unanswered. Oh, yeah, so please, mama and fathers, pray for your children. Do not give up. Don't ever give up, and don't ever think oh, that amen. God does not hear your prayers, for real, for real. Amen. You know, amen. we yes, we ma'am. have all walked through some things, and we recognize and understand stood that, you know, had it not been for the prayers, you know, of our parents. Or I, I'm a firm believer that even our ancestors have prayed for us, and we didn't even know anything about it. You know, they prayed, they put things in motion on our behalf, and because of their prayers and because of them standing firm on the foundation of the Lord, you know, we are who we are today. I believe that with all my heart. I really, really yes, do. Ma'am. With all amen, my heart, amen. you know. Oh, my gosh. Um, I I know for myself, and and I've told this before, but, you know, I'm adopted, so I don't really know my biological – oh, perfect. I don't know my biological parents, but I do know that according to the social worker, after when I was about a month old, she got a call from my mother who um, asked if she could see me one last time and came and they left me with her. For 30 minutes alone And I believe I, I know I was one month old So I can't tell you that I remember this conversation But I believe with everything within me That she prayed for me That she gave me to God Because she felt that Amen. she could not take care of me You know and I, You know how you have like This overwhelming sense That something happened This is something that is so profound Within my life that I, it, It's almost like I feel like I was there And heard it You know what I'm saying It's that yes, profound ma'am. So yes Never ever give up <laughs> Never ever give up I have grandchildren no, it, right now that that I'm still praying them into the kingdom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. I believe in that. Hey, I'll I tell you what, and, and, and you know, my, my brothers and I would kind of laugh, uh, but when you're not living right, that's the thing. You better watch out for mama's prayers, too. That's a double-edged sword. I'm trying to tell you. Because <laughs> oh, mama knows yeah. things that you have no idea. I used to tell my kids once after I got saved. I got saved. My children were teenagers. But I used to tell them, I was like, you know, I've always had intuition, so to speak, you know, to know when something was wrong. But you couple that with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, please. I know everything you're doing before you even think about doing it. And also, hey, when and when you're praying, when you're praying for that lost uh, son or daughter, 
And hey, uh, God doesn't—he he doesn't allow everything to go smooth. He's got to get your attention. So hey, me mm-hmm. laying on that floor, getting my head caved in—I guarantee, I guarantee mm-hmm. uh, he got my attention. Hey, but I, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. uh, my mother, her part of her testimony, she actually was saved before my dad got busted, and she went to a church in Corpus Christi. That's where uh, we were from. Uh, she went to a church in Corpus Christi, and the preacher of that church tried to take her to bed. And she had, she's like, man, and as a brand new baby in the Lord, she's like, mm. it rocked her world, obviously. But she had enough strength, and God touched her enough to realize that he, the man was just flesh. Just because he had that role of a pastor, preacher, what have you, he was still mm-hmm. flesh. And my mom was mm-hmm. not going to walk out, but there's a lot of people like, well, I ain't going to that church. I ain't, why well, I want to serve God? You know, look at this preacher, the preacher of all right. people, you know. So mm-hmm. God led her to a church in Victoria, which is an hour and a half away. And I remember every Sunday, an hour and a half there at the church, and then church service an hour and a half back. But she, she was, you know, her testimony that she prayed that God would change my dad and the business that he was in. And God had told her that the process and the journey that she they're fixing to go on is not going to be easy, and for her to be prepared. And Lord knows she, she had. <laughs> She was, had no clue where everything was fixing to go down, you know. And then, of course, when my dad gets sentenced to prison, whatever, you know, she could have easily, like, really, God, you know, this is but where we're at today. My father, oh, the fact is, my father, their church is about 350 people. Uh, they are known to have the most visitors in a year uh, because of my dad, my father's outreach in the community that he's in in Port Arthur. Wow. So, uh, wow. yeah, so, hey. Hey, when you want you want change, hey, it's not going to go the way that we want it to go. Mm-hmm. You got to totally mm-hmm. trust God and understand, mm-hmm. just like you said, begin the program on the other side, and it's getting to that other side. But hey, what a journey! Yes. Oh, what a mighty journey! Oh, thank you. Oh Jesus. my God, incredible, incredible. Yes, so that I mean, you have so many testimonies, Tony. But you know what? That's the life of a believer. Seriously, um, I tell people, you know, anybody that tells you this Christian journey is boring, they have not walked it because there's oh. no boredom <laughs> in it whatsoever. It's like you wake up in the morning saying, "Okay, Daddy, what are we doing today?" Because you uh. never know which way he's going to take you. You just have no idea. Um, you, uh, well, you're on you. your second marriage. I just, you know, and God has been victorious in your life there. That's another testimony that, you know, yeah. because the first didn't work out, you, he still had something for you. You know what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. Um, speak on that a bit because people walk in guilt and condemnation that their marriage didn't work as well. Oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, what I was speaking about earlier, uh, I married my girlfriend uh, that was the stripper in Houston. I was uh, 17 at the time, deep into the lifestyle that I was in, uh, and uh, she was uh, dancing in clubs on a fake ID. She was only 15 years old, uh, go figure. But, uh, you know, when you're a 17-year-old boy uh, living the lifestyle that I was living at the time, I just thought I was, you know, I was king of the block. You know, I had the stripper girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I had the the Cadillacs mm-hmm. with the rims and the system, the pocket full of money, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. anyhow, mm-hmm. so uh, uh, we got married. Uh, she got, uh, when we realized she was pregnant uh, with my son, we got married. And it was 17 years uh, was in, in the marriage. Uh, I remember uh, coming home. No, not coming home. I was leaving uh, to bring my kids to school one morning. And I went out in our vehicle. Uh, 
like the other side was leaning. So automatically, I'm like, okay, I got a flat tire. I walk on the other side, and the whole side of the car is wrecked. Both tires are blown out. Rims are demolished. And I'm sitting there in amazement like, what? But somehow she managed to park within the two lines in the parking lot. <laughs> like, how did you do all that? <laughs> but managed to park in the two lines, you know. And, he, and then I see going down the concrete, uh, down the street, you can see where the rim was riding on the road. And so I went in, and uh, at that time she was uh, on the roller derby team, uh, and which, you know, if you know anything about the roller derby girls, what have you, they're, they're pretty tough. And uh, so she had got it uh, when she became a, uh, a teammate on the team for about three years. It was like she got back into the party lifestyle in a really hardcore way, and I wasn't about that anymore. So, uh, but anyway, so it was causing so many different problems. So then he wound up with the car being wrecked. And so she came in at four o'clock in the morning. So I went in and I confronted her, and uh, and she looked at me like, "What was I talking about?" She had no clue she was even in a wreck. And uh, wow. so I snatched her phone. And I'm not a type of person, I guess, because what I'm a kid as a child, the trust issue, whatever. I'm not gonna dig through your purse. I'm not looking through your phone because if it got to that point, the way I, what my mindset was, is that it's over with. So anyway, so uh, and I had been having suspicions, but I, I made myself not to go start digging. But when I see my car wrecked, I'm like, man, something's going on. So I took the phone, and this is uh, back in what 2004, I believe. And you no, know, the phones weren't as big as they were now, but there was this video on this phone from a guy, and I'm like, I had this phone close to my. I'm trying to like really look at it close, like what is this? Because he was calling out her name in a sexual way. And then when I realized what I was seeing, this guy was naked, and he was, like, uh, messing with himself, calling out her name. And I <laughs> realized what I was watching, and I took the phone, and I threw it, and it hit the wall, you know. And I say, we're done. This is over with. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I ended up getting a divorce, what have you. And uh, But not being with God, I found myself back in the same type of relationship with the same mentality, I guess you would say. I was find myself dating women that were to me were like crazy over the top and I'm like why I would and then, but I, at this point in my life I'm like hey I'm done you know I I'm, I play with so much craziness and I'm done and then I meet this other girl and it was like the same deal so I made myself not date for one year and I drove my kids crazy I had I had a son and daughter through my ex and uh they was like, Dad, you got to start dating again because you're driving us crazy because every weekend we have to go out with you. <laughs> but uh, I took a parenting class, and I took a fatherhood class, and uh, and then I took a cognitive class. And I learned so much about myself and the way that the brain operates and the, the fight and flight uh, mode that we go through when we're confronted with a situation and how a, a woman thinks with one part of her brain while the other man and why, you know, and it just helped me understand um, so much about the, the females versus the man. And then just anyways, so and then I, I dated one more girl, and she was, she was kind of saying – but then I was like, you know what? I did not want to marry a woman that was not walking with God. And I, I was getting hungry. I was like, man, God, I want you. I, I want to walk with you. And I remember I, li- I live here in Austin, Texas, and I, I visited a couple churches. And even with my teenage daughter, we would leave the, one of these churches, and she's like, Dad, that church is not right because we value the old school ways. And when my teenage daughter, she was like 13 at the time, for her to tell me that, like, well, she wanted something real. I was like, man, you know, the responsibility is me as a father. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to go to a church that does things halfway. It's just we're walking with God. So anyhow, mm-hmm. so I remember finding this church, 
in on Google, and I called the preacher, and I, I questioned him. I said, look, I want to know what the church is about and, and, and what the belief is and before I even come. So anyway, so I remember it's like a long driveway going through some trees to get to this little building, and it didn't even really look like a church. It used to be a mechanic shop. Uh, anyway, I didn't know at the time, but I remember walking in, and I felt the power of the Holy Ghost, and I knew mm. I was home. And I, I, it was on a Sunday morning, and I went to the altar, and I just laid it out to God, and he filled me with his spirit. Oh, man, you thought I was so happy. Oh, man, it was such an awesome, awesome deal. So then Tuesday we had prayer, and uh, and their prayer service uh, at our church is a little bit different than when I was raised up at home. And uh, and I was like, man, what? So then Wednesday night I started looking around, and I started seeing the difference of this church uh, than the church I was raised in, and, I was, and that's what I realized. I was seeking my, my the old church I was raised up in, and I was like, really, Lord, uh, uh, why would you bring me here if you know that I'm not gonna be happy here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find another church? And I remember putting my hands back up and praying, and then uh, I looked over and I seen this woman praying. She had such a sincere, awesome prayer going on, and I was like, you know what? Maybe it's what it is, God. You have you know uh, the woman's for me is here in this church. And um, about a year and a half later, I don't even know if it was that long, that same woman I'm talking about, she, uh, oh, man, somehow, some way, I convinced her to marry me. You know, what a blessing it's been. We now have our, yeah, <laughs> poor baby. She's been in church her whole life, and she's a Baba Quiz mm. champion. Well, not a champion, mm. but she was she competed in Baba Quizzing across the United States. And um, But I realized, uh, going through one of my classes, that, I wanted to choose something right opposite of ever what I was attracted to before. And my wife, she's real quiet, meek and humble, and uh, and and I'm right opposite what she would ever chose. But we let God put us together. That was the main thing. We allowed mm-hmm. God to put us together. And I, and I, and I will tell you this too. We were texting a little. Well, we texted a lot. And then she asked me to call her one day, and I was like, no. I said, I want to get permission first from our pastor and then from your dad before I would call you on the phone. And I was like 40 years old at the time. That's kind of unheard wow. of. But uh, I wanted wow. to do everything God's way. And uh, because Amen. I wanted his blessings on us. Oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. So, uh, and I guess I am patting myself on the back here because we did it God's way. We kept ourselves right until we actually got married. And, uh, and the result of that is we didn't think she was going to be able to have uh, children. And uh, she was sick, and uh, I have a son going into the Navy. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, was uh, now, what, 15 at the time, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm almost finished raising kids, and I'm just going to uh, do God's work and uh, and uh, build a business, and that's what I'm going to do. And uh, we were at a hospital because my wife was sick, and those two nurses came in with a smile on their face, and I'm looking at them. And they told my wife, you ain't sick, you're pregnant. <laughs> I about fell out of the chair. <laughs> I was like, what? And uh, oh, we have a beautiful baby. And uh, so, uh, you know, so the people that knew me, Mrs. Colette, in my old life, uh, because when I visit back home, Port Arthur, which is the bottom of Texas next to Louisiana, we call it the armpit of mm-hmm. Texas. Oh, it's nasty down there. <laughs> Anyways, I'll, I'll, I have people... I had people, I had this one guy was standing in my dad's tire shop, and he turned around and came back, and his eyes were big. And he said, man, is that really you, Tony? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he's like, man, I heard they chopped you up, put you in the trunk of a car, man, and all these years, I thought you were dead. Hey, and I'm telling you, the people that I knew from back home, you know, and uh, 
and uh, I, I was homeless about, uh, let me go back a little bit, I was homeless about five or six years ago here in Austin. I, I refused to go back to Port Arthur. I wanted to make it here in Austin, and uh, I was determined this is where I felt like God put me. And this, even though I wasn't walking with God, I just knew this is where he wanted me at, and this is where I was going to stay. And I slept in a tent. I slept in a tent. I was homeless for about two weeks, and I got into this homeless shelter that all the homeless guys on the streets were telling me, no, man, you don't want to go up there. It's crazy, and, you know, it's just all the drama that goes down up there. But I knew they had some programs that I could work that would help me get to where I needed to get to. And uh, so it's called the ARCH, A-R-C-H, the ARCH. And uh, I was there for about two months. Uh, I had a job. I left every morning at 5.30 in the morning, uh, was working at day labor places, what have you. But uh, 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 but God blessed me uh, through all of it. Now we have this. We have an awesome business, got a landscaping business, and we work on a foreclosed home now. And I employ three to five guys at a time. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so we go back to the arch to serve, and I still some of the guys I still see that I've seen five years ago. But and then when they realize it's me, and I'm like, man, what a testimony! And then I bring my wife, you know, and uh, and and I I I do that like I said earlier. You got to give it away to keep it. And I uh, man, mm-hmm. just to be able to make a difference to let someone else know, man, you can do it. Man, you give it to God. Oh, come on, man. Uh, yeah, yes, ma'am. So, uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so uh, well, you yeah, have you blessed my soul this this hour, and I I just know that my listeners have been blessed as well because you know it, it's literally you have gone from the victim to a place of victory. You have been victorious through so many, and I know we just skimmed over a couple of incidents, but oh, yeah. through so much of your life, you know what I'm saying. And and the beauty of it is. A lot of it, you weren't even walking with the Lord at the time, but yet and still he kept his hand around you, you know, and kept you to get you to the place, yes, sir, to get you to the place where you are today, you know, where you're able to be a blessing to others. He blesses us to be a blessing. You know, um, the, um, the 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 scripture in um, – in the word of God where it talks about, you know, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. It says and pour you out a blessing. And what people think is this just they just want to be in that place of receiving where God is pouring blessings upon him, but in essence he is pouring us out as the blessing on somebody else. You know, so as we walk through our journeys and what have you, it's an incredible thing. I would love for you, you got right about three minutes, and I would love for you to take this time just to, out of your heart, encourage someone that may be in a place that they're still stuck in that victim mentality, things that happened years ago that they've not been able to release, just to encourage their heart to get to the place of victory in the Lord. Uh, the 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 story in the Bible about uh, the four friends that took their friend uh, that was on laying on the cot, uh, and they knew Jesus was uh, preaching, speaking, and they couldn't get inside because there were so many people. But they got on top of that roof and they made a hole and they lowered their friend down. That story touches me, and God told them, Jesus told them that He healed him not because of him, but because of their faith. And so my biggest thing was having some brothers and sisters in the Lord for the encouragement not to let you stumble. And when you do stumble, that they're there and they feel like you're going through something. They don't even have to know. You know, you don't even have to tell them exactly what you're going through. Just to have 
those brothers and sisters of the Lord is walking with you as personal friends. You know, so if you have something of a similar story like mine, it's to give it to God. And I know a lot of everybody says that. Truly give it to God. Reach out to a brother or sister that you totally trust in the Lord and share it with them. And then there's going to be some type of shame and the guilt. And just know that, man, once you let that go and you give it to God, the testimony that you have, because that is what a testimony is about. It's about the test that you've been through and you've made it. Hey, if we're walking and we're talking and we're still alive, we've made it. So we give it to God um, and, and, and just know that your testimony is going to affect and change other people's lives. And uh, I, I'm just, I, I can't give God enough glory and praise uh, at every single day of my life to be where I'm at today. And, uh, and thank you again, ma'am, for allowing me to, to, to be on this program and encourage all your listeners that our God is an awesome God and, uh, and he will meet, he will meet you and carry on through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so very, very much for sharing with us today. You have truly, truly been a blessing. I've been encouraged and blessed by hearing your testimonies, and I'm sure the listeners have too. Thank you so much for being a part of our show today. We really appreciate you. Amen and praise the Lord. Love y'all. Have an awesome Mm -hmm. weekend. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, I want to encourage you guys to join us again next Saturday, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, when we will once again deal with real talk on real issues. God bless. Have an awesome week. Let's keep it Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.